I have the handout for tonight because you don't. I don't think we have this addition to the packet you have because I found out later that it was not in the originals for some reason. So we'll let you distribute these. There you go. One page. One page. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and we deal with healing under the Holy Spirit because of the way it's been handled really in other faith traditions mostly in charismatic faith healing contexts. And so we're going, there's several ways I approach this, and this is just one of them. Here we go. Let's just go through these statements at the front end of this, and then we're going to look up these verses. And I probably won't necessarily do it in this order, but at least you'll have all the information. And we may not be able to get through all of it because I'd like to have some discussion at the end. Uh, so I'm not concerned about hitting every point thoroughly, uh, but I want to get to two points particularly. It says, we believe in healing. Okay, sure we do. We surely do. Okay, but, <laughs> and that sounds like a compromise. But these are just some statements of reality. If everyone were healed, no one would die. And death seems to be a consistent part of life on, in this context where we live now. If no one were healed, everyone would die soon. So who chooses and what is our part? Some faithful Christians are sick while others are well. Some reprobate unbelievers are sick while others are well. Like rain and sun, the good health falls on the just and the unjust. This all seems rather confusing and modern faith healers don't help either. Some things are a combination of the secrets of God and the universal problem of sin. We're going to talk about those two items. But there are some other things we can know for sure in this area. So, two things I've introduced to you is that God has his purposes at work. And that should be reflected in our prayer. And we're going to talk about prayer tonight because I believe that that is the most significant part of any healing ministry is prayer and not because I say so because the Bible says so and we're going to look at that that we see that a consistent element involved but certainly we understand we talk about the secrets of God and others right now um, Pastor Kirong in the Philippines with Bethel is doing a series on the will of prayer and the will of God and uh, it's I don't know he's like on his eighth eighth message on that Topic. So we could spend a lot of time on that. But the fact is, is that when we pray to God, we are for healing. We need to be cognizant and hopefully reflective of what that means to be praying according to the will of God. And that doesn't mean that it is, it is an out for us not to pray for healing for people, because that's certainly not the case. Um, the other side is that there is a universal problem of sin, uh, that the wages of sin is death. And so we obviously recognize that God has the power to heal anytime, anyone, anywhere. But we also know that there's a consequence of sin, and that is death. And generally, people often die from illness or injury, and even just getting old, our body's wearing out. And frankly, we don't really understand aging very well um, because your body replaces itself pretty regularly. I think every seven years, every cell in your body has been replaced by other cells. So, uh, so you're essentially being regenerated all the time. Uh, we, we know that certainly for our skin, that uh, we slough off every, most dust in your home is, is dead skin cells that, you, that came from. So the more people live in your house, the more dust you have because of that. And so we have, uh, we know our hair grows, dies, our fingernails, things like that. So we know these planes were replaced, but so do your red blood cells, so all the rest of your cells. So we only really understand aging, and that's kind of interesting how science has studied that and tried to understand it to try to avoid it. And we look at certain societies and say, oh, those people don't age like other people. And it's like, well, so they die at, in their 90s instead of in their 70s. Uh, but they're still dying. And 20 years isn't very much in the grand scheme of things. So let's just hit through these points very quickly. 
Hopefully they're familiar to you, but they are really in response to some error being taught in different circles. Number one, it is not a sin to be sick. That is a common thing you'll hear, that the reason you're sick is because of unconfessed sin. Can that be the case? Yes. And we're going to come down to that when we get down to number four. In fact, let's jump down to number four. Can it be the case? Yes. Um, We have several Psalms and Proverbs there talk about that there are certain sins that bring achiness to the bones. It brings weariness. It brings physical infirmity. That sin can do that. And so there are some sins that are the direct result of, or some sicknesses are the direct result of sin. And some is more evident or obvious than others. So give me some examples of illnesses that are the direct result of sin. Cirrhosis of the liver due to alcoholism. All right. You were drunk, you had a cirrhosis of the liver, and you got sick and died. All right. That's the direct result. And we can directly connect these. Okay. What about AIDS? Venereal diseases of all kinds, not just AIDS, all venereal diseases. Direct result. If you don't participate in this activity, um, and I know there's the thing about needles, dirty needles, but the people who use dirty needles are also having some sin issues in their life, I'm pretty sure, because I don't think they use dirty needles at your hospital. Uh, And then they use blood transfusions. I think like 0.05% of AIDS are from blood transfusions. (laughs) 0.5%. So that means 0.0005 of cases are AIDS are from that blood transfusion issue. Um, but predominantly, overwhelmingly, it is from sin. And so we recognize that while we say it is not a sin to be sick, we also understand that there are some diseases that are directly tied to sinful behavior. And in fact, some of those aren't just those hideous ones that we think of, of alcoholism and sexual promiscuity and deviance, but also things like worry, because that's what Proverbs and Psalms there are referencing, uh, that it is those kinds of things that can eat up that of guilt, that can eat up our health, our physical health. Let's look at a few of these. Turn, if you will, to Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 32. Uh, This is uh, David speaking, Psalm 32. Looking it up here. And we're reading verses 3 through 5. It says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so when we talk about this, what was it that he kept silent about? He wasn't confessing his sin. He was holding on to it. And it says it ate him up inside. And we want to call that guilt, that we have a recognized guilt environment and the hand of the Lord is heavy upon him. And so we have a process I want to talk about, and I talk about that process here in number, number three as well, that some sickness is a, it comes as discipline from God, uh, but not only from discipline from God, but also even some of the sickness that comes directly from sin. Uh, we need to recognize a process, and that process is how God brings us to repentance to confession and that process involves the word used here in psalm is that the lord's hand was heavy on me Uh, that it was felt he felt it into his bones that he was groaning all the day long he just he felt his age and even more uh, because of the hand of the lord to convict him the part of the convicting process isn't just a, a mental issue of being sorrowful, but even physical, physically sorry, that we have God inflicting on us physical measures to get our attention to the need to bring our, 
bring to come to repentance and confession. Remember what Romans says is that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Doesn't make repentance, it leads to it. And so sorrowing isn't just an emotional state, it is a physical state as well that can impact your own bodies. And so there's a process we're going to talk about. In the number three example is about in the Corinthian church where it says many of you are not are, are sickly and some of you have even prematurely died because of the way you have partaken of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. That is, you have handled it lightly, you have come into it without good discrimination, you have abused your brother and then sat down and watched him be hungry while you feasted and thought you were, you know, worshiping. And you were partaking of the Lord's table with unconfessed sin. And so uh, that's why many of you, some of you are sick and some of you have even prematurely died. Well, that's a direct result of God disciplining his children to bring that upon them that they might come out of that sin and confess it. And when we talk about that process of responding, this Psalm 32 passage needs to come to your mind. And I want to lead with them. We're going to spend a little time, then we're going to get into some other elements. So this is really covering one, three, and four, or what we want to address and so as God lays his hand on us physically, we ask ourselves this question. Am I sick because either I need to be corrected or is, is there unconfessed sin? Am I being tested like Job or am I being trained? And not only do we have the example there of 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about that God just says, my grace is sufficient for you. You asked me to heal you. I'm saying no to you because I want to teach you something different. And that is to rely upon me more and more. You've been given a lot of privilege through divine revelation. You've been given a lot of privilege, and I don't want that to go to your head. And so you're gonna, I'm going to inflict you with this. And we don't, we're not told exactly what that infliction is, Probably the result of one of his stonings. A lot of people think it was his eyesight because when he wrote in his own hand, it says, see what large letters I write to you. So many people think that his eyesight was affected by his stoning, which would make sense because in a stoning, the first stone is on your head by the accuser. So the accuser throws a large stone. You're held in place and they throw that on your head. It usually dazes you, knocks you unconscious, whatever, and then they stone you to death. Usually the first one is not whipped from the back of the crowd. It is your primary accuser while you're being held, bonking you on the head, all right? And so that, that's probably caused some problems with Paul. But he says, I want it to be removed. God says, no. So there's lots of reasons. And what I want to communicate to you out of the Psalms, and we could go to these Proverbs, we go to Corinthians, these other passages, is that, we too quickly claim number two. That is the universal effect of sin. And we're going to address that. But we too quickly go there, well, people just get sick. And we said that, number one, it's not a sin to be sick. There are some godly people that had physical ailments. There were, and that's reality. Lazarus got sick and died. Do you remember that? Okay. Kind of? All right. Remember, they sent for Jesus to come because Lazarus was ill. And Jesus delayed, and Lazarus died. And when Jesus arrives there three days late, he didn't get there a little late. He got there a lot late to heal him. The guy's been in the tomb already, and he shows up, and everyone's weeping. And what was the statement? If you had just come, you could have healed him. Well, did Jesus need to be present to heal anyone? No. Remember the one man came and asked for healing. He says, I don't have to go touch them or anything. Go home. Your prayer has been answered. Your servant is healed. And on his way home, they come to him and say, oh, he's healed. And same thing with the son and others. And so we have the, the power evident there that you don't have to be present to do that. And yet on other occasions, there were. His presence was needed. But here, Lazarus, there's no evidence that he got sick because of sin. But there's also 
others that we can look at, uh, including Paul with his injury, with his affliction that he references. And so we are quick, though, to claim that. And what I find in the Christian community is we are so quick to claim either number one or number two. It's not a sin to be sick. It's a universal effect of sin. Everyone gets sick because there's germs, because we have a scientific mind and not a spiritual mind that we do not even visit the fact that maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's sin in my life that I haven't confessed, that I'm clinging to, that needs to be eradicated. Maybe God is trying to train me for something. Maybe I'm being disciplined for disobedience, for not doing what I should do, the sins of omission and the sins of commission. Or perhaps I'm just being tested by God if I'm going to glorify his name and I might have to carry this affliction for an extended period of time joyfully. And so when we examine this, we seldom visit those stations. We really quick say, well, it's not a sin and it's just the effect, the effect, universal effect of, you know, ways of sin is death. So it's sinfulness of this world that makes me sick. And we discount the fact that perhaps it's one of these other categories. And I believe we do a disservice and we're, we're not being very spiritually minded when we do that. That God brings things into our lives sometimes for very important spiritual reasons. Not only confession, but also to strengthen us. Why did God bring affliction, allow affliction to be brought upon Job? Why? Did it have any earthly reason? Zero. His friends said it did. You must have sinned, you must have sinned, you must have sinned. This is their mistake. It is not your friend's job to ferret out the sin that made you sick. It's your job. And remember, Job keeps defending himself. I don't see it. And I regularly offer sacrifices not only for my sin, but for those of my children, whether, it's, whether they knew they sinned or maybe they didn't know and they sinned ignorantly. And so we offer sacrifices for those. We have served the Lord. We have been faithful. And he defends himself over and over again. So why was Job afflicted with sores? It was to shut up Satan, not on earth, but in heaven. What a wonderful opportunity. Okay, and so what a wonderful opportunity when a faithful, godly person comes down with something that they have to live with the consequence of that disease the rest of your life. We don't have a lot of those, like polio and being crippled for the rest of your life, but yet still serve and glorify God. When you hear the hymn stories of hymn writers that were, had these diseases that, that, that debilitated them from doing much of anything else, and you find them writing some of our favorite hymns out of that disability. All right? That is to glorify God, not by being healed, but by serving him with that affliction. We have some modern examples, too. Uh, you know Johnny Erickson Tata, right? And her testimony and, but early on, after her injury, she went to all these faith healers. And you can read it in her biography that she went from faith healer to faith healer. Oh, we can heal you, we can heal you, we can heal you. And it started to shake her faith in God. Until recognizing, no, God wants to use this so that I can serve him. So we have all these other things to explore that are that need to be explored. Do I have unconfessed sin? Is there something in my worship that isn't right? I mean, think about that. They just weren't doing church right. Because of that, people were getting sick and dying. Don't even get me started on Ananias and Sapphira. You know, drop dead, because you lied. Okay? Am I worshiping right? Because that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. was wrong. They were worshiping poorly. And God says, I'm going to afflict you. And they didn't get it until Paul pointed it out to them. Now, they didn't get it. And he says, well, this is why this is happening. And so we need to be sensitive to these other areas and with brutal honesty really examine ourselves 
and open ourselves up to the fact that maybe some of these things we're gonna, uh, are going to persist in my life. They're going to be chronic, chronic disease, and I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to minister in the midst of it. You're not going to hear me complain. I'm not going to moan and groan. I'm going to rejoice because God has using me nonetheless. All right, so we want to go now past that. That's why people get sick. Now, what about healing? Because wasn't this a pity about healing? <laughs> Is it appropriate for us to seek out healing? And I would contend, yes, it is. Let's go to the book of James. Did Jesus have a healing ministry? Yes. Did the disciples have a healing ministry? Certainly. I do want you to notice Paul's healing ministry. How did that go for him? All right, later on, Eutychus fell out of a window, and they took him up dead, and then Paul came up, and, and he had really quick recovery time there, and then they worshiped together in that hot room the rest of the night. It wasn't the end of the service. They said, well, now we have to continue till morning. But what about early on in his ministry? In, in the book of Acts, if you study out Paul's miracle ministry, okay, as he moves more and more gentilian, you'll see him relying upon it less and less until his arrest. It's very interesting um, to see that. And it really goes to one event. The one event that the healing wasn't a benefit to the gospel, what a detriment. Do you remember that? Yeah, he looked and he saw, and it says he saw faith in this person's eyes or face. And so he looked at it and he says, stand up. And, and now we have this cripple walking all over the place. And everybody, wasn't that, it was cripple? X? Wasn't the blind. And so he heals them and everybody goes, oh, the gods have come down to us. It's, it's Zeus and, and or Jupiter and Mercury. And... Now they're going to, and they have to tear off their clothes and run through the crowd and say, we are just men like you. And you see Paul using healing and miracles a lot less from that point on. Because as it moved towards more Gentilian, and now later on it's focused really on preservation of life. Uh, with Eutychus, with himself in the shipwreck, with the snake bite, things like that. Uh, it's not that it was gone, it's just that it wasn't emphatic. It was, didn't drive his ministry. So let's go to James, because James chapter 4 gives us some instruction here on what to do if you're sick. I mean, this is a direct statement, right? What to do if you're sick. So let's pick up in James chapter 4. It's a weird place to start, but we're gonna, it's really about prayer. It says, you ask and do not receive, because you ask and miss, you may spend it on your pleasures. And he talks about the fact that they have a, no answers to prayer. And because we're only asking amiss, because we're only asking for ourselves. And so the first thing we need to explore is what is your motivation for seeking physical healing? What's your motivation? That's a real challenging question. That's the question, why? Why are you asking me to pray for someone's healing? What's your motivation? Because we're always conditioned in our prayer meeting to list all the people who are sick and ask for their healing. Well, what's your motivation? Why do you want that person healed and not this person? What's your motivation? I have a lot of requests for me to pray for sick people. And I am in, in hospital ministries. On one occasion, uh, only on one occasion, have I earnestly asked the Lord to please heal this person. And I, in that prayer, explain to God why. Do you do that? Do you engage God with the motive for your prayer for healing? Why? Is it for their comfort? Is it 
because you feel bad for them? Uh, what if God is trying to use them to shut Satan's mouth on earth? What if he's using them to reach somebody? You don't know. We don't know why Ambrose is the way he is, but my prayers for him are very pointed. And I hope you hear that. My prayer is not just to make the Roberts' family life easier. That's not my motivation. What's my motivation, Mr. Nathan? Yeah. To be a testimony of God's power. That's the motivation. So James starts off, listen, your prayers aren't working because you're asking for the wrong reasons. So it is important not only to be, know what you're praying for, know why you're praying for that. And by the way, that one time I was in a hospital bed praying that prayer, God answered that prayer. Does that mean I have this faith healing ministry? No, because of the rest of James. <laughs> but we want to start here. Okay? And... You know, by God's grace, that person is still alive. They're on death's bed. Many years ago, they're still alive. Will they live forever? Well, if the Lord comes back real soon, that, it'll work. But <laughs> they will in heaven. You ever wonder if Lazarus was disappointed? I mean, he has to die twice. He had to come back. Yeah, he had to come back, and then he had experienced death all over again. Oh, what a bummer. I, I don't know. Well, and we don't know how he died. He might have been murdered because the Jews were trying to kill him, but, you know, the guy had to die twice. I mean, what a disappointment, you know. Anyway, what is our motive for asking? So, amongst all of this, James begins to talk about this and we get towards the end of James, and we come to verse 13. So let's look at verse 13, because prayer is the, is the fundamental of our healing ministry, is prayer. But I wanted to start off by reminding you, your motives for prayer matter. If you're praying for convenience, for comfort, those are not good motives. You're asking for your own fleshly interests. Here we go. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So, is anyone among you sick? Now, this is interesting, right? That's the question. What happens when I'm sick? What should I do? What should we do about this? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We're going to address that in a moment. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then immediately you have confess your trespasses one to another, pray for one another, you may be healed. So it's not just I'm going, it's not this priestly idea that I'm going to forgive your sins. It is I'm going to pray about that, God's going to reveal it, and you're going to confess it. Okay, so you have all of that entailed there. Don't break off and don't read the rest of it. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And again, he's going to give the example of Elijah as an example of how powerful prayer is. But remember, what's your motive for praying that? And don't try to, you know, don't try to con God by coming up with what you think are, are spiritual motives and conjuring them up. No, why? Why do we generally want healing? What's your goal? What's your aspiration? I've shared with you about what happened uh, with us in India. And that I had no, I, I, I just asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm going to eat whatever I put in front of me. And if it makes me violently ill, then I'm going to be violently ill the whole time. And my food allergies, I'm going to lay them at your, I'm just going to give them up. I'm just going to, I'm not even going to talk about them to anybody. I'm not going to say I have food. I, I'm just going to, because it's just too hard to make all those people in their environment to try to accommodate food allergies. And so I had zero problems for three weeks, eating anything and everything. <sighs> Gained 20 pounds. Everything that was thrown at me. And God did that. And then I get violently ill at the first time I eat some of that coming home, thinking I'm healed forever. 
Okay, well, God has a purpose. What was the purpose? I wanted, I'm there to minister. And, and allow me to minister to these people by being able to eat with them freely. It wasn't because I didn't want to get sick in a foreign country. I really didn't care about that. I've been sick in a foreign country before. Uh, but I wanted to minister in the mealtime with people. And so we got to question our motives. So here's the thing. If you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Right? Right after you call Presbyterian, the doctor says there's nothing we can do for you, then you call pastor, right? No, I'm not a Presbyterian. So then you call, so call Presbyterian, then the Baptist. So for those of you on the podcast, our local hospital is Presbyterian Hospital. It's the largest one in the state here. And so um, we have a responsibility. Call for the elders of the church. And then we have uh, a dual instruction for the elders of the church. Here's the expectation of what they're going to come and do for you. They're going to come and, and pray for you. They're going to pray. And so now it's not you praying for yourself. It's someone else praying over you. So you're going to call for the elders of the church. They Let them pray over him. So I am not well. You're going to call and I'm going to come and I'm going to come, and here's what I'm going to do. Have you considered that you might be sinning, and this is a consequence of that? (laughs) I'm not going to name your sin. I'm just going to challenge you with that. Have you considered this? Have you considered that? And then we'll pray over you, and depending upon the situation and circumstance, like I said, I let the Holy Spirit lead me in that to a degree of what we're going to pray with regard to that healing. And and you'll hear it. That I want God to be glorified. That's the purpose. That's the goal. Of it, not to glorify me, not to glorify uh, a denomination, not to glorify a certain religious ritual, but to glorify God specifically. And if it's just because you don't want to be discomforted, um, I'm probably not going to pray much for you. I'm sorry. Uh, sometimes you need discomfort in your life to trust the Lord more and to quit being so selfish. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing, but I know that David had sin in his life. God laid heavy on him. And the worst thing to do is alleviate the pain. And so thankful that they didn't have Advil back then or Bufferin or any of those. Um, When God leans on you, you came to God. And that pain is necessary to bring them to repentance. So they're going to pray over you. But notice some things about this prayer. It's going to be the prayer of faith. It's going to be a prayer to the Lord. The Lord's going to raise him up. There's going to be confession of trespasses in the midst of that. It is is prayer for one another, not prayer for myself. And it is the fervent prayer, effectual prayer, and the prayer of righteous men. There's a whole bunch of information here in these little verses, isn't there? We have this huge volume in, in single words, boom, 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 in the Greek, to look at our prayer life with regard to healing. But please notice that it keeps going back to prayer, which James has already talked about. Are your prayers rightly motivated? Why are you praying? Now, what are you praying for? And will God intervene? And again, confession is also prayer, uh, not only to God, but to one another, uh, that you can actually have something between you and your brother, and that's not right either. That can lead to illness as well. So there needs to be faith. There needs to be the Lord. There needs to be confession. There needs to be prayer for one another, not for ourselves. Effective prayer, fervent prayer, and righteousness in the prayer. So that's what the elders are called to do. And so I'm not negligent to respond. So if somebody says, Pastor, pray for me, I tell them I will, but that doesn't mean it'll go well with you. Because what am I going to pray? You asked me to pray for you, you're... What am I going to pray? Glorify yourself, and if that means you have to be miserable to you, confess your sin, if that means that that you're glorifying God by becoming joyful in suffering, which is all of 1 and 2 Peter's sermon... If that means I'm praying for God to be glorified in you, even if that's through uh, death. And I have prayed for that for people. Lord, just take them. 
Just take them. It's time. And I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful for my father-in-law's quick demise. It's what he wanted. It's what every, he had a wonderful testimony that morning. He was sitting up engaging, sharing Christ, his, that he's ready for heaven with nurses and doctors. They were just saying, this guy is just raising the spirits of this place, and then he crashes and he's gone. Well, that's perfect. Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer. We knew he didn't want to be in the hospital. We, didn't, we knew he didn't want extraordinary measures used. We knew he didn't want to be a burden to have extended illnesses and injuries, and God answered him. Okay? And so, ask for prayer, but understand that that prayer is going to involve inviting you to do the examination that we already talked about. Because confession is on here. In this process of are you sick? Are you suffering? Confession is part of this process of verses 13 and following. And particularly if you're sick, you're going to call for the church, they're going to pray over you, certainly, but that prayer of faith will save the sick, raise them up, but there needs to be confession. As he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven, but confession is there. Confess the trespasses one to another. And so the desire is to bring you to repentance, to confession, and to address those issues that might be the very purpose of the illness. Might not be, uh, but probably is, if there's unconfessed sin, needs to be addressed. Okay? And I'm brutally honest with people when they, ask, when they invite me to come. And I've been invited to come to deathbeds. Okay? I've been a pastor for this long, even in small churches. I've had my share of time at deathbeds. Uh, unfortunately, usually I am invited too late to be able to talk to the person on the deathbed. Usually it's because that's the last ditch. The last thing you do is call a preacher. It's not the first thing you do. First you call you know, the EMT, then you call your doctor, and you call, you go through every, once every other measure is, is, is used, then you call the preacher. And usually by then the person I'm going to see is barely conscious because they don't call me first that's why I get really annoyed when I hear a week later that you were in the hospital this week past week I'm genuinely annoyed I'm not offended I'm annoyed okay it would take a lot more than that to offend me but it's just annoying okay call a pastor I'd love to pray over you for you with you um, and address some of these and maybe save yourself a hospital visit. See, you don't believe that. Shame on you. You got this little kid over here. Proves it wrong. Now, there's a second thing that we're supposed to do when we show up. What's the second thing in that verse? Verse um, 14. What is anointing with oil? And by the way, this is number six. Scripture encourages the use of medicine. I have James 5, 14 through 16, also as a text there. And we have 1 Timothy 5, 23, which is Paul telling Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake, because Timothy apparently had some digestive problems that Paul knew about. And he said, you know, a little wine would help you. you know? and, and that's true, because there's some good stuff in wine if you don't have clean water that can help you. And build some probiotics in your gut and the gut chemistry there. And in that time period, that probably would have been the best. They didn't have 17 billion strains, you know, for you to take in a capsule. You know, I I take those, you know, 20 billion little bugs in there I'm going to eat every day. And so I, 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 and it's worked wonders, by the way. You should do that. Because if I took wine, you guys would go crazy. So anyway, what I do, because I take... No, that's not wine, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> I eat gin-soaked raisins for my joints, so um, I don't drink gin. I just soak raisins till it evaporates, and I eat the raisins, and it, it, it works. What is anointing with oil? What is this eat a little wine, or drink a little wine for your stomach's sake? 
And then I have a text here in Jeremiah 8. Do you know what that's about? You do, because we have it in one of our songs, our hymnody. It is the balm of Gilead. Is there no balm in Gilead? That's the question Jeremiah says. What is a balm? A balm is a healing ointment. And he says, this, and Gilead was known for a place you would go to get medicines. And it says there's balms there. And we can go through scripture and see how sometimes the prophets in their healing ministry used concoctions to heal. Uh, one of the prime examples was when, remember the, the, during the drought that the prophets went out, one, kid, one guy went out there and picked some plants to make a soup out of, and then after everyone tasted of it, they go, ah, it's poison in the pot because he picked poisonous plants to make soup out of, and everyone was about to die, and the prophet went, took fine flour, sifted it into there, and then it cleaned it up, and they all ate it, and they were healed. Okay, so he basically took fine flour and put it in, precipitated out the poison somehow, or counteracted it somehow. I'm not trying to diminish that miracle work, but I'm trying to demonstrate to you that God doesn't say you can't use medicine. And certainly, we should employ that. In fact, in this situation, it says that I should be coming. This anointing with oil isn't coming with a little, little holy oil. Um, you know, I got, I got this from, I bought this in Israel, you know, this olive oil, and go drip, drip on your forehead, and it runs down. That is not, call, that is not anointing with oil, okay? Anointing with oil is you take this big old flask, you dump it over their head till it's dripping off of them, and you rub it in. And that is very healthy. You should do that on a regular basis to one another. Just, and you'll feel so much better if you, I mean, I know all of your soaps are trying to remove oils, and God says put them on. These are very healthy oils. And the balm of Gilead is another ointment. And, and if you go through what was brought to Christ, frankincense and myrrh, myrrh is really for burial, and frankincense, again, these are things that were employed in their time for your health. And you should use those. To what extent should we use those? Um, we can talk about end-of-life stuff, but my time is up. We can talk about that, and I probably have a variant idea from what you believe that we should take every measure. I don't believe that. Because if that's true, then we can keep people's hearts pumping and with machines indefinitely. And I've said this from the pulpit multiple times, that what modern medicine has largely done has not helped us live longer, but die longer. It has prolonged a, the death process so that we are dying for months, years, sometimes decades, and all we are doing is spending our existence going from one treatment, one doctor, one thing to another, to another, to another. And again, what is your purpose? What is your objective? What is the motivation behind this? Personally, I can't wait to get to heaven either because I know where I'm going to. Paul, I think, had that spirit. You know, to be with Christ is far better, but for me to be here is beneficial for you. It's not really beneficial for me. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. And at some point, when me being here can't be a ministry, then I'd rather be gone. And so, yes, if I have a massive cardiac event, I don't really want to be brought back. Because... My heart is to minister, and when that time is done, God knows. So there are groups out there that say you can't participate in any medical procedures and medicines and anything modern, and certainly there needs to be a balance point there that we recognize that the use of medicines has been long far before our modern thing, but the toying with being God and deciding life and death, uh, even from the womb all the way long, is universally condemned. 
And we need to know where that ethical line is. Not only in terms of the practice of medicine, but in how much treatment we're going to seek out. Uh, from what I can tell, most people are seeking out all the treatments because they're afraid of death. And for the believer, we aren't. We should have something different evidenced in us. Any discussion on that? I would love to take an hour to discuss that concept. So do we believe in faith healing? <laughs> Not the way it's used in our modern society. We believe in God healing by the prayers of righteous, the prayers of faith. That we believe and that are motivated by asking with, with godly motivation, but not to hold people here because we'll miss them if they're gone. That motivation is evil. It's selfish. And I will not join you in that prayer for healing. In fact, I might even pray the opposite. And in God's presence, there's not, there's no elections. So one person's prayer can outdo thousands of other prayers if it's genuine according to God's word. That's why when your children pray for little brothers and sisters, God usually answers theirs and not yours. Also have that happen in my ministry. Yes. Yeah, and that same as they even understand what we mean by faith. And so faith healing is... Promoted by a charismatic community, they go over and they're going to hit you, they're going to slap you, they're going to heal you. You have this big service. I see somebody out there, uh, God's given his knowledge, that has this disease, and I'm telling you, boo, and, and that's going to heal it. And literally, that is exactly what they do, and they're going to heal you even across the TV. Put your hands up, put that sore elbow up to the screen, and boom, oh, doesn't it feel better? You know, you, that, that's not how God works. Okay, does that glorify God? How does that glorify God? That's my question. How? It glorifies Benny Hinn. It glorifies a lot of things, but it does not glorify God. So I have a little area for exp explanations of that. There is apostolic healing. Uh, that had a very purpose. There is divine healing. That's what we seek. We seek divine healing. We seek God to heal them and to move God to heal them, we pray. That's why prayer meeting is, is important. Not just corporate prayer, but your own prayer time. That's why prayer, you should be praying without ceasing. There's lots to pray for. Faith healing are these guys. And faith healing, I'm not going to discount in some quarters where there's genuine healing going on in those situations. In fact, I make a statement, I think, in here that a lot of your faith healing is the kind where you have confession of sin and then suddenly they feel better. They start feeling better. Well, if there's confession of sin and the pain, injury, illness was because of that sin, then we can see that. Um, but I've seen, by and large, in terms of that movement that has been, that is used for profiteering, essentially, we can see it. And then there's hypnotic healing. I think that's what a lot of the faith healers are using. You have an incredible power inside your body that is generally untapped to overcome pain. Your adrenal glands, if you can tap them, and I'm not talking, uh, you know, this is the fundamental concept behind the Hulk, the Hulk uh, that if you radiate your adrenal glands and now you can turn into this green thing that's gone. No, but your adrenal glands can give you incredible ability to overcome pain, to overcome even, even some very strong disabilities, and to give you incredible strength. Then, and there, this has been well recorded, that in how do, we, how do we tap an adrenal gland? How do we tap that? Well, usually we talk about an event that your heart's, you know, that, that's fearful and that, or, uh, that just somehow, and then suddenly you're doing things that you know you can't do. And we have seen evidence of this in, in battlefield examples, in construction examples, in car wreck examples, where people are picking up cars and things like that. That is, that is what your body is capable of.
when it t- but it's not capable of sustaining that. So what happens? If I'm able to, to tap that somehow in your life, and if you've ever been to a healing service, it goes on for hours and hours, and it's all, and it's, it's a, back when we were kids, we'd call them sweat fests, pep rallies, where we get ourselves all, and it's the movement and the, mu- and the sound and the lights, and, the, and it's just until you tap that, and then you're capable of even walking on broken bones. You are. Of getting up out of wheelchairs and not feeling pain. But the sad thing is that you will feel pain once the adrenal gland subsides. And probably even worse. And so that is some of what's going on there. It's almost in a hypnotic state where you are or in an adrenalist state that you are not feeling this pain. And I, I know it's gone. My pain is gone. That's usually the testimony at these services, right? My pain is gone. I walk around. They throw the crutch. And then it's back. Well, what happened there? Well, you've used a mechanism again. It was a ploy. And then lastly, can Satan heal? Does Satan know how your body works? And can't his influence affect it? That's a frightening thought. Uh, remember the seven sons of Sceva? What happened to them? <laughs> what? They tried to cast out a demon. Remember that? And the demon says, we know, we know, we know, but we don't know you. And the demon in this body beat up seven men and threw them out of the house. Okay? What about the demon that had men go on and on and on and on uh, living in graveyards and doing, they couldn't even tie him up with ropes because he just tore them asunder and just living like wild people with uncontrollable strength. That is recorded in scripture. We have other records. So yes, sometimes it can be a demonic activity that actually gives this illusion of healing. But it's only an illusion because ultimately whatever Satan does, your life will be destructive. It will destroy you. I don't think anyone that had a demon cast out of them ever was sorry. Even if they could foretell the future for their owners or if they could throw guys around or if they could, you know, break ropes. Okay? And so there are all other examples ideas so don't think that everything is just a fake because there are things out there that are very real that should be that we should be wary of that can deceive all right we've gone really really late let's pray